This podcast is proudly supported by the post-production facility, Red Lab. Red Lab. See where your ideas can go. This episode is proudly presented by the Directors Guild of Canada in Ontario. DGC Ontario. Creativity lives here. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Production designer Naz Gashdespur is a walking example of the hard work pays off motto, climbing her way up to success on many notable films and television shows. These feats do not come without their challenges. In her essay, boldly titled, Don't Call Me a Woman of Color, Nas describes a recent scenario which caused her to reflect on her present values and self-worth. I got my first shot at an internship in August of 2002 when I was hired as a PA on a feature film. While working on that feature, I learned that I really wanted a career in the art department. In my four years at Ryerson, I worked on building my portfolio and immediately after graduation, I applied to the Directors Guild of Canada as an art department apprentice. I have been active in the film industry full-time since 2006, working on a variety of projects including shorts, commercials, music videos, features, and series, I never felt I was being discriminated against. Never, that is, until recently. Of course, I had my challenges as a female department head with a male crew who were often 10-plus years older than me, but it was never anything I could not handle. In the early years of my career, anytime I was given the opportunity, I was employed as an assistant art director on DGC shows as well as working as a production designer on non-union shows. As I moved up the ranks in the DGC to art director, there were more design opportunities. Eventually, I had enough production design offers that I could afford to not do other jobs in the art department. Once I decided to become a production designer full-time, I teamed up with an agent. He put me up for bigger shows and interviews I was never able to get on my own. After he submitted me, I would interview but not get the job. I was up against experienced designers such as Rocco Matteo, Philip Barker, Aidan LaRue, and Peter Costco. However, I never thought I lost a job because I was a woman. I knew I didn't get the job because I either didn't have the resume, the experience, or didn't connect with the director. Because of my early start in the industry, I'm much younger compared to other production designers who are working on network shows and features. In addition to being young, I look even younger than my age. Heck, I still get carded at the LCBO. When I joined the Directors Guild of Canada in 2006, it was a different time in the film industry. I recall going to an art department meeting where female members of the category were discussing the difficulties of maternity leave and other issues that were in the process of changing. Moving up, I still never felt like I was being discriminated against because of my gender. I knew as a 28-year-old, going to interviews for big features and series, I didn't always have the experience of other candidates. I was happy that I was asked to interview. I moved to Canada in 1997 with my family. I couldn't speak a word of English. 
I started in grade nine and I remember the nights I'd come home crying because I couldn't understand what the teacher talked about in class. I was afraid I was going to fail. My mother taught me to be strong, not give up, and to try and be the best in my class. In 2002, I graduated with honors. I applied that same principle to my work. If I lost an interview, I'd try even harder the next time and the next and continue to work and build my resume. Some of the milestones I've achieved in my career have been because other people gave me an opportunity or I was in the right place at the right time. One of my recent shows happened because a very well-known producer gave me a chance. He recommended me for the project, and I got it. It was only recently that I personally felt discriminated against. About a year ago, I decided that I wanted to pursue directing. I met with a friend to write, direct, and produce a short film. She had recommended her friend to come on board because he had his own equipment. I didn't object because I know how hard it is to find someone to help for free. And I was thankful someone wanted to spend their Saturday shooting a short film. In one of my early email exchanges with this man, he wrote that he was down to help a woman of color. That was truly the first time I felt I was reduced to a label. Despite all the hardship and obstacles I went through to get to where I am in my career, I managed to still get there and make a name for myself. I don't need his pity, and certainly don't need his help if that's his only view of me. A woman of color. The film industry is a male-dominated industry, but I never allowed that to stop me. I took pride in knowing I was the only woman 15 to 20 years younger than any other man in the room, and I was working alongside them. It made me work harder and strive for something greater. I wanted to not only be as good as them, but better. I want to be the best. I was fortunate enough to be invited into this industry by three strong women who were heads of departments themselves. They became my role models. I was also given some great opportunities by men who didn't see me as just a woman, or a woman of color, or an immigrant. They gave me an opportunity because they saw me as a qualified candidate. Of course, I'm not speaking for all of the film industry. I'm only speaking based on my own journey. I never wanted to be considered for a job because I'm a woman. I want to be hired based on my experience, qualifications, ideas, and presentation. I look forward to a time where candidates will be considered for a project based on their experience and ideas, regardless of their race, age, or gender. Coming up, production designer Naz opens up on her work processes, tales of inspirations, and wishes for the future. Creativity lives here. Inspiration lives here. Imagination lives here. The Directors Guild of Canada in Ontario. They can't wait to meet you. Follow the Directors Guild of Canada in Ontario on social media at Ontario DGC. I'm Larjean Korstecki, and I'm here with Naz in the Red Lab Digital Studios. Naz, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's been so great in this process to not know what each individual woman is going to write about. Before we get to exactly what you talked about there, we're going to talk about your work. 
because you have a lot of achievements in a very short time. You've been in this business for 12 years, is it? Since 2006. And you are still very young. Can you elaborate more? You speak very briefly in the essay. We are going to get back to the crux of the essay later, but you do speak about the mentors you've had along the way. So can you talk more about these mentors and what they've provided you? Um, Yeah. Um, These women that they basically found me in a clothing store on Queen Street and they asked me to come on board and help them because the city was so busy at the time that they couldn't find crew. And the production designer of the film, uh, she showed me how she basically designs movies. And she was at the time trying to turn Toronto into New York. And so seeing the process of her design, and that was before Photoshop was such a common thing and how she basically used tracing paper and draw up all the little design elements that would make this corner of Toronto Street into New York. That was really fascinating to me. And the art director of the film, who later her and I became good friends, she was a very strong leader, I would say. And she would always give me advice on how how to deal with certain situations and how to how to um, what's the word? How to present myself in interviews as I get bigger shows and bigger interviews and what to do and what not to do. And because she's such a strong woman, she kind of prepared me for everything else, for everything that was coming my way. She would just talk about her experience, whether the times she was discriminated against. And she herself was very young for her age in the position that she was. So I kind of saw her as a mentor and I kind of wanted to follow in her footsteps. And I don't know if that answers your question. Absolutely does. <laughs> tend to ramble. No, not at all. When you approach your work now, do you find you think primarily in pictures? This is a question I've asked a couple of our other guests uh, because each job in the industry is so different. And I'm curious how your brain works. So is it pictures or is it feelings? Is it colors? How do you approach your work? How does the thought process happen for a production designer? When I first get the script and I prepare my presentation for the interview, when I read the script, I see colors. Like I'm reading someone's bedroom and I see the colors through the description of the scene. So from there, I look for those for images with those colors in them to see if anything speaks to me or conveys a mood. And then from there, I eliminate. And then from the colors and the moods, then I move to the settings and figure out what picture what speaks to me best in terms of the characters on the page. So the short answer is colors. I see colors. I feel as an actor who's worked in various genres that excellent production design really elevates my work. And I know it certainly enhances and is essential to our experience as an audience member. You know, just like an excellent novel, the setting becomes a character in a book. Great production design, I think, can become a character in a film or a show. Do you see yourself that way as creating a setting and putting your... uh, imagination into reality to support the story? Do you see that as a character? How does that process happen, that collaboration with the director-producers? There's just so many ways to answer this. I'm trying to think of the best way. Is I, well, I guess I should say that I don't see my job to be more important, like my position, production design. I don't see it to be more important than you know, cinematography or writing or anything else or costume. I just feel like we all go hand in hand to create a world. And the 
least amount of time you notice the production design, I think the better it is because I see my work as like something to move the story forward, but not to distract Mm. or retract from it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a very theatrical way of looking at things and one that in good film, I, I think we find too, where it really is all about serving the story and not necessarily about outshining anyone yeah. else, that it is a true collaboration. And for me, like I, I try to, I my method, I like throughout the years, I changed my style. Like first right out of university, I was like, Wes Anderson all the way. I just want crazy patterns, all of that. And then when the reality of budgets hit, you realize that you can never do that in that level with the budgets I've had to work with moving up. There are creative ways of to come close to it, but you can never imitate that. Or for me, I was never able to achieve it successfully. Now I gravitate towards more realistic design and realism and taking inspiration from real world research as instead of doing internet Pinterest or like stylized apartment looks, I just go to people's houses and take pictures of their environment and I apply that to my design. So it's not like a picture perfect world. It's it's like a real world based on the characters and real characters, real people. You've done, you say that, yet you've done wonderful work in magical realism in Four in the Morning, your work on the CBC show, which was quite spectacular. How did you capture that idea of magical realism while still making it real? Um, that was a few years ago. Yeah, so that's to. in the earlier. You're like, that was my earlier time. <laughs> well, about five years ago, I think, or four years ago. But the way I approached that was some of it was scripted, so it was easy to take from that and find an interesting way to present it visually on screen. But other times I just really channeled my six-year-old self where I had like so much ambition and aspirations and the world was the limit or the sky was the limit and try to see like how I saw the world as a kid believing I don't know, fairies or sparkles or rainbows or something. (laughs) Unicorns. There we go. It makes Um, me think how vast and switched on your imagination must be (laughs) to be able to indulge in that. That actually makes you did the Disney Channel show backstage, which was very colorful. And I know you often had to come up with different art projects because it took place in an arts high school that the kids would have to do. So I just think how vast and switched on is your imagination to be able to get inside each character like that? Did you have the same process there where you just to let your let yourself go wild and be like, what would I be if I was a teenager? Um, A little bit of everything. The showrunner and I had shared the same aesthetic, so it was really easy for me to know what she liked. In terms of the art projects, the high school was a really bland place, and it wasn't an art high school at all. So I was just trying to find ways to make this environment more colorful and vibrant. So one of the characters who was an artist and was doing these art installations every episode. We just decided to, or we thought it was more appropriate to give her all the bright colors. And anytime she was in any of the sets, she was surrounded by bright, vibrant colors. Mm. Uh, In terms of her artwork, it was just a lot of research on contemporary art and installations and seeing what would have been believable for a high school student to achieve. And some, some inspirations we had from real work, but then we heavily, like we just used that inspiration and created an original work with vibrant colors to represent her character. When you approach to get to current work, Baroness von Sketch, 
where every sketch is a different world within that same comedy framing. How do you keep the world at large consistent? Is that through color palette as well? Will you still honor each individual sketch? Or do you just throw it out and go, no, each one's going to be different? Um, it's a little bit of both. When I when I work on series, and especially the one I'm working on right now, realism is a big part of it. And with Baroness, when I was working on that, it was realism first and contemporary second. So they the contemporary design and uh, realism went hand in hand. And even though each sketch was slightly different in terms of color and mood, it was still contemporary and realistic. So when you look at all of it at the, at once, it just all blends in together. But we still found ways to make each sketch unique and the challenges we had to face with working on that. And everybody I talked to when they said, oh, what are you working on? I would say Baroness Von Sketch, like last year and a couple of years ago. They would just be like, oh, just a sketch comedy. And I oh, would just so say, much more. I would say it's like production design boot camp on that <laughs> yeah. show. It's like we get a blank uh, location and we had to turn it into six or five or six different settings, like from living room to an office space to a doctor's office to, I don't know, we had one on second season where they were shooting a Titanic sketch. We didn't have the money to build a pool to sink our set in because that's on a big show, you would build a pool and then build a set and then sink it in. That's how the water rises. Everybody was coming up with all these crazy ideas that weren't going to work based on what I could understand. And then eventually I said, give me the weekend to think about it. And uh, on Monday morning, I came up and I said, well, what if we do this in a parking lot in a cube van and build a set in it and then we can flood it? Then we'll just let the van dry out over the weekend. And I just thought it was the stupidest, craziest idea. And everybody was like, no, this is great. We can do whatever we want now. So we built the ship cabin in the back of a cube truck and we extended it with risers to create the hallway. And we flooded it and it worked out really well. So where does an idea like that come from? Just, I guess, your vast imagination. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my proudest moment on Baroness. To go from your great achievements to the crux of your essay, I want to bring it back before we say goodbye to you today to the crux of your essay, because I think it's so brave and important to talk about what you talked about. I, I just was so struck that one question out of 12 years of struggle and great achievement can define so simply what it was to be reduced to a label what was that experience for you? Can you elaborate a bit more on it if you'd like to? I'd, I'd just love to hear more about your experience. It was brave to share. I mean, for me, I don't... It's it's a tricky thing because when I first read it, I just got so angry. I was like, who does he think he is? How dare he say that? I'm more than just a woman of color. I'm more than this and that. And, and eventually after talking through with my fiance and a couple of friends and the friend who recommended me or recommended him, I just was like, okay, well, he might just be, it comes from a place of um, not being educated. And I feel like he said that because he felt it was the right thing to say. And he was trying to be supportive and welcoming of the idea of another person joining the forces of directors in this country. But the way he said it just 
came off wrong. And I think it's just about educating. And I and I think like there is no at this point there is no winning because you know if you don't acknowledge it, people get angry. But if you acknowledge it, people get angry. So uh, it's a tricky thing. And for me, I I just learned to brush it off. And I've never confronted him to say you can't say that about me. But maybe I should have to educate him and saying what maybe his words, even though he's trying to be supportive, is coming off as offensive. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I don't, I don't have an answer to that, but I think more education. And it's right now is a tricky time because there's a lot changing and you just have to let the movement work its way into the mainstream and eventually everything will smooth out and even out. And until that happens fully, there's going to be moments like this when people are trying to be supportive, but it backfires. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just just hope there's a time that, you know, none of this matters and people get jobs based on qualification and merit. And that's it. I love that you ended your essay that way. And in the meantime, we can hopefully support each other with love and compassion through yeah. the moments of awkwardness and the moments of lack of education and ignorance. Thank you so much for coming in today. And sharing your words, sharing your essay, and uh, sharing your fascinating job. I really appreciate you talking with me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Naz Gostespoor is an award-nominated production designer whose work includes critically acclaimed film and television such as the official TIFF selection, You Are Here, The Steps, directed by Andrew Curry, the Disney Channel's Backstage, Four in the Morning, and the popular sketch comedy series Baroness Von Sketch. She is currently working on the new CW series, In the Dark. Thank you to Naz for sharing her time and joining us today at the Red Lab Digital Studios. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara-Jean Korostecki. I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women Women on on Screen. Women on Screen Out Loud was recorded at the post-production facility Red Lab. This project was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue, with sound engineering and editing by John Lawless and original music by Erica Percunier. This podcast would not be possible without the support of Women on Screen founders Lauren McKinley, Farah Marani, and Kira Murphy. This has been a Women on Screen production.